Hey everyone, welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name's Clay McCormick <laughs> and with me as always is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Hey man, yeah, good to be doing this. I, I, you said that we're uh, almost officially done with season one. <laughs> yes, we uh, we have done, uh, these two episodes we're doing today will be episodes 63 and 64 from the original 65 uh, episode order. Which right. is still astounding to me that they, that was the first order was for 65 episodes. That's a lot, considering cartoons at the time were meant to sell toys. You know? Yeah, yeah, they had a lot of faith in the show, and rightly so. I mean, as we've as we've been watching it, there's very few stinkers uh, we've come across in, in 65, 64 episodes. So yeah, I kept thinking that too because I kept feeling bad that most of my grades were uh, like four out of five. Because I feel like mathematically, the average of anything should be three. But right, right. if you think of this series as a whole compared to others, this series is an A. So it makes sense that most episodes should be better than average, if that yeah. makes sense. If I, if I had the uh, spreadsheet capacity that Wes has uh, regarding <laughs> Star Trek, I would be able yeah. to pull up a list of all of our ratings and then we could do some sort of averaging. But I, I'm not a nerd, so I don't know how to do that. Wow, so. man. that sounds like He sounds like a fun guy to party with. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Uh, we love you, Wes. Sorry. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Which is why we have you on the show all the time. And if you don't hear that part, it's because he edited it out because he has he has control over everything before it goes out. So I guess we shouldn't fight the hand that, that hosts us. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we're going to be doing two episodes today. As always, we're going to be doing Fire from Olympus. And read my lips, which are are two pretty interesting episodes. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with Fire from Olympus. Fire from Olympus, written by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, directed by Dan Reba. And in this one, believing himself to be the reincarnation of Zeus, Maxi Zeus steals an experimental weapon that the government developed. The, ma- the madman desires to use the weapon against the people of Gotham City, and Batman must put a stop to Maxi's mad plan against the city. He lo- they don't even mention what the kind of weapon it is in the description. It's a pretty specific weapon for him. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so we open in, I guess, Greek town of Gotham City, <laughs> and we are introduced uh, fairly right away, although in shadow, to a new Batman villain named Maxi Zeus. Um, uh-huh. Maxi Zeus is a villain that I have been aware of. Like, I know he exists. I don't know anything about him, mm-hmm. and my uh, very shallow... De- uh, dive into looking him up brings up what is probably the shortest wikipedia entry on a comic book character i've ever seen uh Mm. his first his fictional biography is only a couple paragraphs and apparently he's not used very often i can't imagine why it's not like he's a (laughs) a pigeonholed gimmick villain or anything um but according to in the comics maxi zeus is a former greek history teacher who started to suffer from insanity when he lost his wife he became a okay. criminal mastermind and used his cunning and intelligence to rise to power amidst the chaos in Gotham City's underworld. He has fought Batman see? on several <clears throat> occasions before being committed to Arkham Asylum. I tell you, man, you see what happens when your lady leaves you and you're in a bad mood? <laughs> Shit can happen. 
Well, tell Ladies, you. stand by your man. You don't yeah. want him to freak out and think he's a Greek god. In the show, at least, uh, the guy's got some cash behind him, and man, the brand manager must have gone on a very expensive <laughs> vacation after Maxi <laughs> Zeus left, because that guy <laughs> got the works. Yeah. That's what was so impressive about this episode to me, is the uh, the set design. Mm-hmm. Everything from the Greek-style elevators that they ride, to the shape of the doors, to the Roman columns... Um, to the the unibrow and the hairy chest of the Greek <laughs> uh, bad bad guys or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow! They really spent a lot of time. There must have been a huge Greek fan who's like, "This is finally my chance to shine. I'm going to show <laughs> Wonder Brothers what I can do. I'm going to see Mom. All my time reading, you know, Greek tragedies, it wasn't spent in vain. Like now, I'm using it on Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I thought I, I. I uh, so I, I assume you like this one. I do, but it doesn't mean it's perfect. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I, when you uh, you texted me and said, wow, two great episodes, and I was watching this one, and I was like, ah, I'm surprised that, that he liked this one, because it's very, mm. uh, Maxi Zeus is a very, like, 66 Batman kind of character. Totally. And in this yeah. one, they just lean into that stuff. It's, it's It looks great. Like, I was surprised at how good some of the animation was. It's like... Uh, yeah. Like the fight with the the animals and stuff that Batman has looks really really good, especially yeah. that that fight with the wild boar. Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's this one feels like it's very much like style over substance because even by the end of it, I don't even really know what Maxi Zeus mm-hmm. is up to other than just trying to blow the city up. Right. You know, it's funny and his girlfriend. Um, sure. Yes. Yeah. What I liked was um, most of the villains that you see in Gotham are established and have henchmen already intact. Mm-hmm. And um, what I like about this one is this guy is not quite a bad guy yet. He's made a lot of money in shipping. He's obviously into Greek stuff, which is funny <laughs> when one of the henchmen says that. You know, it's the boss's thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, But, you know, his girlfriend is not so sure he should be getting mixed up in mafia deliveries or whatever it is. And even his henchmen aren't really henchmen. They're just like assistants who are like constantly hitting the brakes on him. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? So I kind of like that this is a sort of a, a guy who's on the brink of becoming a villain and not everyone around him is quite down with it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, uh, What I actually really liked about him is that he's basically just a, a businessman who had a very specific nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I... Whenever I hear about this one, I always roll my eyes and go, oh, God, the one with the guy who thinks he's a Greek god. Mm -hmm. But Batman is rolling his eyes, too. Everybody is. That's the point, you know? These two episodes back-to-back are are a definite, not not a normal Tuesday for Batman, even. Like, he's dealing with this one guy who thinks he's a Greek god um, and -hmm. is just a rich businessman with a lightning fetish. And then the next one, he deals with this, like, murderous ventriloquist. So it's it's definitely a... uh, Batman yeah. Batman deserves a beer after these two, I think. Yeah, even, yeah. There's a lot of similarities here, too. I noticed that in each episode, within the first two minutes, a character pulls out their watch and looks at what time it is, and then something <laughs> something blows up or something happens or whatever. Mm-hmm. Lightning strikes somebody. Yeah, I also noticed, and not, you know, not to compare them both back-to-back back repeatedly, but uh, uh, there's a lot of great Batman stuff in both of these, and especially mm-hmm. in this one, I loved... Um, Batman's reveal in the lightning blast in uh, mm-hmm. in the girl's I was her name Cleo I think in her uh, 
apartment yeah. when she's looking at the picture of the two of them and then the lightning strikes and you know reveals batman yeah. that stuff that was really good i like that a lot yeah yeah honestly yeah i'm kind of watching it in the background right now yeah this guy's his i hate his outfit but he's supposed to be dorky you know <laughs> but like the amount of design I mean, he's got these like gargoyles that sh- shoot things out of their eyeballs eventually and uh i love when batman shows up this guy just assumes that Batman is from Hades. Yes, yeah. And he welcomes Batman in and puts his arm around him. And Batman's literally like, okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, I've n- never seen Batman, st- you know, deal with somebody like this before in this way, you know? Yeah, he's not, he's oddly, uh, at least in this episode, uh, he's not like a super villain. He's just right. a guy who just went overboard, like very, <laughs> yeah. very, very overboard. Yeah, and he doesn't do anything elite. Like when Batman shows up, he if, if, thinking of it like a cop. He, this guy hasn't broken the law or anything yet. I mean, he is dressed in a fucking toga with gold bracelets or whatever, and that's not against the law. And Batman's asking him questions. But I do think that, I mean, there was a lightning-related attempted murder the yes. night before, and the guy literally pulls out a, a fire, a lightning rod, and Batman sort of walks away. I mean, yeah, you think at that yeah. point he would assume like this guy has probably something to do with it. I did. I did love the uh, uh, the lightning attack at the beginning of the episode because like, wow, that was that was pretty brutal. And then they cut to him in yeah. the hospital, and the nurse says it's a good thing that he was laying yeah. in that pile of tires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they set up a tire alleyway filled with tires pretty clearly. Yeah, um, and you know, I don't think the tires protect us against lightning like we were all told as kids the reason why you're safe in a car is because the car is made out of metal and it's like a tesla it's a faraday cage basically the tires don't have much to do with it yeah and um, it's the grounding too like it's i think it's a it's a couple things working together it's not just yeah. just a pile of tires <laughs> yeah i mean I'm, I'm, that's probably the easy way to go i don't want them to to redo this and be like it's a good thing he fell into that oversized bird cage that was stuck in the alley yeah <laughs> It's a good thing he jumped into that Honda Civic before they start. They blasted the lightning. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. These uh, Greek henchmen with the unibrow and like the uh, button-down shirts and the gold necklace. And mm-hmm. Is it is it racist the way that they draw these guys? I don't uh, know if the the Greeks are normally um, a group of people that we associate with racism. <laughs> yeah, it's probably pretty close if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's ju- let's say it's uh, at the very least probably culturally insensitive, I guess would be right. the way to put it. Yeah, this this is a it's a really fun episode. Uh I I liked it more than I was expecting to, like like you were saying. Um I don't know if I would put it on my must-watch list. No. But uh but but yeah, I I enjoy it. There there was both of these episodes are very much um villain at the forefront. Like it's just yeah. it's a new villain we're kind of playing with and we're kind of showing you what they can do. I think yeah. I think the second one is is more successful, but this one is yeah. is definitely like a very comic booky, uh, mm-hmm. over the top villain. Batman has to foil his ridiculous plan, kind of thing. My right. I think my favorite part of the episode is when um, uh, Batman shows up at Commissioner. I think it's. I don't remember where he. So someone's telling him about the the electrostatic cannon thing, uh-huh. and he's and uh, who, and they say to him, "Are you are you familiar with the uh, the ACH or whatever?" And he's like, "You mean the electrostatic blah 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 <laughs> cannon?" I thought he was going to say, yeah. "No, I've never heard of it. Tell me what it is." <laughs> he's very he's very very aware of what it is. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, you know, to me, this is you're right. It's totally a Adam West Batman. 
uh, story, but done through the lens of the animated series yeah. and done extremely well. Right. Um, like there is no fat on this episode or very, very little, I should say. Even like the way they go out, like so Maximilian has these like Greek chess pieces that he's kind of playing with when he's talking. And um, there's some subtle storytelling going on. Well, not so subtle when he starts crushing one. <laughs> and um, at the end, when his girlfriend is on the laser gun, he's like holding another piece. And at the at the very end, I think they zoom the camera over <clears throat> to this chessboard, and one of the pieces is laying down. Like I bet, I'm not sure if that stuff was in the script, but right. it really helps the storytelling in ways that this this episode wasn't necessarily asking for. You right. know, so a really blah episode done extremely well. Yeah, if you think about maybe what I'm thinking. If you think about uh, this compared to say uh, the first Joker episode, where where we were kind of bemoaning the original Joker episode because it was so '66 Batman feeling and silly and over the top, they figured out how to do that kind of thing in this show and not have it come off as just silliness for half an hour. Because they give Maxi Zeus, you know, albeit. It's fairly limited character yeah. development or character uh, uh, depth. Um, yeah. It's there. Like it's he's yeah. not he's not just a crazy guy doing crazy. Uh, yeah, he breaks character at one in one moment. And the fact that this woman is so reasonable and nice, you have to assume that she liked him for the right reasons. Mm. So yeah, you know that he's not that disposable. And at one point, he does snap out of it. He's like, "Oh my god, what am I saying?" Like. That kind of a thing, but then he goes right back to attaching her to the laser beam, and threatening yeah. to kill the city. Yeah, her her involvement does make it feel like he's a guy who has a problem, and he's and she's trying to help him through the problem because she loves him, and yeah. then ultimately he loses control, and she loses yeah. control, and he takes it too far. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Which which happens? Um, what what are your feelings about? The Greek, <laughs> no, about about uh about Greek about Greek mythology in general, and I'm talking about like having to study it in school, you know, grade school. I think we all had a Greek mythology class and Greek de- design, Greek architecture, mm-hmm. Greek history. Do you have any feelings about that stuff, one way or the other? Um, I I used to really love it a lot. Like when I when I first was came across it when I was in in you know elementary school or high school or whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I I was really fascinated by that stuff. Um, I haven't really paid much attention to it, uh, recently or in the last Mm -hmm. handful of years. It was kind of like much like, uh, I feel like when I was a kid, there were things that I liked, but I didn't know how to get them. And so there Mm -hmm. were other things that were sort of gateways into me finding exactly what it is that I liked. For instance, like, uh, I remember I, I was constantly trying to find interesting books to read for book reports and stuff like that. But I didn't yeah. know what I was looking for with Stephen King. So I was, uh-huh. I was ended up reading like mystery books, you know, like uh, Agatha Christie and Mary Higgins Clark and all that kind of stuff. And it was never really hitting the right thing that I was looking for. And then mm-hmm. I came across like Carrie and I was like, okay, this is what it is. Like, so that's the thing I'm looking for. And I feel like the Greek mythology is kind of a similar thing where it was sort of my gateway into different mm-hmm. uh mythological cultures and it was kind of like it was the closest thing to comic books in real life you know yeah and wrestling which uh yeah definitely i don't know yeah. if anybody knows this about you but you're <laughs> yeah i love wrestling i uh i i remember once i was offered um a book 
uh, from an editor that was a Greek Greek something I forget. It was by a really well known writer at the time, and uh, it was a really it was a, a convenient gig um, that would have paid the bills. And I was so tempted to say yes, but mm-hmm. it just didn't speak to me. It was yeah. basically like a contemporary telling of Greek mythology, but on the streets of a city, and you had gangsters in it. And yeah. to me, I feel like. You know, hey, it could be awesome, but it's just not my taste, honestly. And um, the editor called me. He's like, do you want to take this book? And at the time, I had just, um, I hadn't done Joe the Barbarian yet, and I was so sick of taking gigs that I didn't like. Uh, and I was putting my foot down in, in my career and taking a chance and saying no, which was unusual. And the editor called me, and he's like, you know, why aren't you into this? It's got a big writer. It's got this, it's got that. And I go, I don't know, man. Like, Greek mythology... It's just, just doesn't, you know, it could be great, but uh, it's, it's just not for me. It's just not speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, he's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's not your thing. That's fine. No problem. Yeah, I'll let you know if we've got something else for you. And he was totally nice about it. Um, but then he gets off the phone and he totally starts shit talking to me to his assistant. What? And uh, the reason I know this story is because that editor eventually left and I went to lunch with the assistant before the assistant was fired for mm-hmm. some reason. And the assistant was telling me all about the inside scoop on what the hell had happened, which he shouldn't have been telling me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's like, yeah, after that phone call, this editor was so pissed at you. He's like, who is, who does this, who does Sean Murphy think he is? Um, how dare you say no to this book? This book's going to be brilliant. Um, and uh, he just thought I was being really entitled or something. Like, I'm not allowed to say no to a project that right. I think sucks and like this writer that was doing it was really great writer and i love some of his other work on some of the x books so it's not wasn't a judge or a slight against him i just Mm -hmm. wasn't into greek street crime you know (laughs) (laughs) and uh so the book came out the sales were terrible and it got canceled pretty quickly um and then uh shortly after i was i happened to be in the dc office and i kind of had a bone to pick with this editor and uh, i had just finished up my business with whoever I else I was working with. And I see this editor in his office. I've never met him. And I just walk right in and sit down and I'm like, Hey man, you know, uh, sorry, I wasn't interested in taking that book. I hope you weren't, you know, uh, you know, pissed off at me or something. And mm-hmm. he didn't all say the right thing, which is, Oh no, it's fine, man. I get it. You know, I, whatever you heard, you know, it's not true. I just, sometimes around here, we all get a little too attached to our projects, whatever. Sure. He didn't say that. He said, well, yeah, I, I thought, you know, that you were really being stuck up and I can't believe why you would say no to this book. So I was just like, wow. all right, this guy's going to push back. Fuck it. And I'm like, all right, great. Maybe you're right. Uh, by the way, how are sales in that book? <laughs> and he just did not make a happy face. Mm. And uh, we were talking louder and louder. I don't know if we were getting angry per se, but one of the women in the office walked by and heard us you know, these two male voices getting louder and louder. So she just swooped in and sat down just to like calm us both down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like this episode, you know, this woman leaves and these men just go out of their minds. That's why the calming presence of a lady is totally important in life. <laughs> and, um, you know, he and I are good now, but I just, to this day, I think back, wow, what a dickhead. Like, Jesus Christ, your project, it's, it's okay to, if someone says no to your book, don't fucking take it personally, Jesus. Right. You know? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's And uh, I had a, I, I drew a handful of Greek things in uh, comics. One, I think, was Chrononauts. I did a Greek or a Roman thing, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, man, like, I appreciate 
the Greek contribution to modern society. Society, I get it. And as a history buff, it's it's interesting in some capacity. But I do not want to draw a book that takes place around all these like Greek columns and white statues yeah. and all that shit. I could not care less about characters with all the leaves in their hair and gods like fucking each other secretly <laughs> and having these like slap fights in the sky while humans are yeah. Well, that's why you <laughs> said it in contemporary L.A. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Yeah. No, you know. Wait for I, it. <clears throat> I, I think I'm I'm probably in the same boat. Like I don't know if that's something I would really be interested in drawing. Like, yeah. But I I actually think I think Greek mythology might have been my part of my gateway into comics. Actually, because I remember mm. watching like Jason and the Argonauts when I was really really young, and yeah. uh, Clash of the Titans and stuff like that. And I think that might have predated my getting into comics. So I think it might have been sort of that thing where it's like I really enjoy this. Yeah. It's not qu- it's not exactly what I'm looking for and then I found an issue of the X-Men and I was like all right here we go. Right. But uh you know yeah, I think fair. I think I think that story you told is 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 important <laughs> though because <laughs> I I don't think it's you shouldn't be afraid to say no to a project that you know isn't for you. Right. You know it's it, it, there's there's uh, plenty to be said for paying your dues and the X, Y, and Z and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, like, if you if you're taking a project just because it's in front of you, and it's yeah. not something that you're involved in or in, or uh, uh, invested in, there's a good yeah. chance you're probably not going to do your best work on it. And honestly, what would you yeah. rather do? Would you rather take a project that you just because it's there and do mediocre work? Yeah. Or would you yeah. rather do something that you actually care about and you know put your best foot forward? Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing is like I, yeah, there was another project that was a, a book that uh, this famous rock star was doing. And, uh, I said no to that too. Um, no, I think I actually got moved off of it because he wasn't into my stuff and I felt really relieved mm. because I would have taken the job cause it was 180 pages, which is, you know, two years of work, or whatever, sure. health insurance at a time when I was almost nobody. Sure. Um, so when he said that he didn't like my art, I was like, fine, thank God. I feel like I dodged a bullet. And then I heard about the artist who did take the book and how miserable that artist was. Uh, the <laughs> book came and went. It didn't really make a mark with anybody. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, the paying the dues thing is an important part of, of a career. I get it. But at the time I was hitting a wall and I thought all I'm doing is paying my dues. I'm taking a bunch of schlocky gigs that I don't enjoy Maybe it's time I just start saying no mm. and valuing my skills and trying to use my skills for books that I at least like a little bit. Right. You know, like right. I'm willing to compromise and draw shit I don't like. I do it all the time. Um, but an entire project of, you know, Greek public domain characters on the streets. <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you need to have a uh, variety of responses to projects you know i because i feel like i've definitely done books where i have been very involved with the story aspect because yeah. you know it's something that i i own part of and i want to make sure that it's it's up to the standards that i have for myself and all that kind of stuff and I've also done books where I'm sort of a hired gun, where I'm yeah. m- more willing to be just like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll draw it, no problem. Sounds yep. sounds interesting to me. I'm not going to be giving you script notes or anything. I'm just going to do my job. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's it's healthy to have a, a variety of ways to handle that stuff because if you go into every project either treating it like it's just another job or going into every project like you need to give your 
you know, deep dive script notes on it before we even start drawing, then I think you're yeah. going to have a, 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 if not a short career, a fairly unhappy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a, a documentary on Pearl Jam once and Eddie Vedder said something about the beginning of no mm. in quotes. And um, he's, I can't remember exactly what his point was or his story was, but I know his point was they started they used to feel like they should say yes to everything, but mm. then they were stretched so thin and they didn't have any energy left for themselves. So they just started saying no. And the more they said no, the more offers they started getting, right. and the more money they started getting offered. And you became like a hot commodity. Um, you know, saying no is sort of like doing the walkout, which I've mentioned a few times when you're contract negotiating or whatever it is, not being afraid to walk away is like obviously like saying no. But yeah, when I learned about saying no, it, it, it only works, obviously, if you're some kind of commodity that they need. If you suck, then, of course, saying no isn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it also depends on your situation, too. Like if you need a job and you, it's in front of you and it's, yeah. it's hurtful for you to say no, then obviously don't do it. But, but even <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <clears throat> I've been in that position, too, where I've had stuff in front of me where it's like, OK, at this point, I, I, I need something I'm, you know, I'm coming down to the end of this thing I'm doing. I've got nothing ahead of me. This thing's been put in front of me. Ugh, I may as well just do it because it's the only thing there. And mm -hmm. uh, luckily, it, at least once, probably twice that that's happened, I ended up not getting the job. And I was yeah. immediately relieved when that happened because it yeah. was, you know, both both times it was stuff where I was like, ugh. I don't really know if I want to do this for an extended <laughs> yeah. cuz you know you think about you know you know what you like to do, you know what you're good at, you know what yeah. you uh, can and can't do. And if something comes down the line where it's like, uh, I just don't want to spend to the next year and a half of my life slaving hmm. 12 hours to get this uh licensed um likeness correct. You know, yeah. it, that's that or or whatever it happens to be or, or, or uh, yeah. whatever. It's just yeah. you kind of have to take stock of, of the uh, pros and cons of these things. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's fair. And a lot of artists don't ever really figure that out. You know, they uh, say yes to too much and they never find a project that's really them. Mm -hmm. They don't find a project that spotlight, spotlights them correctly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I mean it's it's nice to be able to have those options and to be offered gigs. Period. So I, I don't I, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but I do think that artists need to think about their brand at some point and have some kind of a plan and stop saying yes to everything. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of bad books out there that you should not do, or maybe someone else would just would do it better than you. Right. It's not your thing, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not about being ungrateful because you should never be ungrateful if someone wants to work with you, obviously. But right. you should also not treat yourself as though this is whatever is being put in front of you is like a gift from the gods or whatever you know to tie it back into this episode you know what i mean yeah like yeah, good job you're not you're not uh you're not a dog just waiting for anything to be thrown in front of you to eat you have some some self-respect would probably go for yeah uh, would probably you know, be funny. beneficial it's funny because i uh, i'm often caught between two mindsets in one hand i consider myself an, an artiste uh, you know, mm -hmm. on the other hand, I think of myself as a plumber mm -hmm. who uh, pay me to do a job. I'll do the job. So I hire a lot of contractors to work on my house because we have a really old house. It's fall falling apart. So I get a guy that does roofs, a guy, a mason guy or whatever it is. And I don't know if they're supposed to say yes to everything. Like, mm -hmm. for example, one guy, I, he, we have a slate roof and to re replace a slate roof is really fucking expensive because um, they don't really 
they make it, but it's mostly decorative now. Mm -hmm. And he said to me that he won't use fake slate. He won't use like uh, plastic shingles that look exactly like slate mm -hmm. from a foot away. And I kind of got annoyed. I didn't say anything, but I was sort of like, really, dude? Like, I'm paying you to do a gig. If you, I feel like you should just say yes. And, you know, when you're hiring a contractor, they come in and they want to fix whatever's broken. They don't have any opinions on what they want to do. But they, they want to get out of there and make money, right, you know? Right. So am I a contractor? Sometimes, but sometimes no, because if a contractor acted like an artist, he'd be like, I don't know. I don't really like that color slate. It's not my thing, you know? Slate's not really my, yeah, my, my forte. I'm, I right. feel a little more of a... You know, copper, copper rooftops today. So I'm gonna go. You just gotta let me do my thing. After all, you're hiring me to be myself. Yeah. If a contractor pulled that shit, he'd be fired. You know, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and it's <laughs> you don't you don't generally get uh, you don't go to a contractor and say, hey, could you replace this slate roof? And he goes, mm, no, I think I'm gonna just build my own roof. Yeah, I'll let you know when I'm done, and then you will like what I've done, and then. That will be the end of the transaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get out of my studio. Yeah. But yeah, you know it's it's uh, it's it's a it can be a difficult thing uh, saying no to stuff. I've I've definitely been in that position, and it's it's not it's not easy. Yeah, but it is. And I don't always blame. To learn how to do. And, and I don't blame editors for treating artists like contractors sure. because on paper we are contractors, right? Right. And tons of artists are dying for work. And if DC Comics offers you anything it's likely that you will say yes and be happy to take it. Sure. Um, but if you are a sought-after commodity, then you have the luxury of picking your own projects. I guess the problem that this editor had with me is I was acting like I had bigger fish to fry when he knows that I didn't. He mm -hmm. knew I was turning it down with nothing else to do because I legit, legit just didn't like the book. And I right. think that's what pissed him off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, I think it, 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 professionalism should be coming from both sides, you know, so it's... Yeah, it's uh, it's it's unfortunate that he reacted that way. Yeah, what uh, what do you rate this one, or what would you like to draw? I guess I should say. Um, I don't know. This is a tough one to think of what to draw. It, what do you have one? Yeah, I like the uh, the laser gun with the lady tied to the end of it. Mm -hmm. There's a great uh, worm's eye view of her lassoed at the arms, and she's just screaming in the wind and the rain. It's from below, and uh, it's a really nice shot. Um, and the way that this thing's designed looks like, uh, you know, typical deco meets 1950s cheesy sci-fi style gun, you know? Yeah. So I think that'd be cool. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I was thinking that I really liked the, the scene where he was fighting the, the snake and the boar, uh, yeah. you know, Batman fighting a giant snake is kind of a cool image. Um, yeah. but I was also thinking, we didn't talk about the final scene, when they're bringing Maxi through Arkham Asylum, and he's, that's a great scene. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> really good. And he's calling out uh, the different Greek. God. Basically, he thinks Arkham Asylum is is Mount Olympus, and he's finally home. And he's mm. looking around and seeing all of his Greek god brothers and sisters, whether it's uh, Janus, the two faced god, or uh, mm. uh, the trickster god, the Joker, yeah. or or I forget who they said uh, for Poison Ivy. But yeah, I think it would be really cool to do that sequence and actually draw those villains as those gods sort of huh. um yeah. that would be kind of fun it feels like a it feels like a pinup more than anything else but it would be i think that would be kind of cool yeah yeah that's a good one too yeah i love the end uh especially when he walks by the jokers 
uh, cell. Yeah. Joker's distant in the background, and they wheel him across the foreground and do kind of a, a wipe. And when he w- steps out of frame, Joker is like 20 feet closer, sticking his tongue yes. on the glass. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, as they were doing that, I was like, you yeah, know, man, it's you can tell, obviously, that they don't have mark hamill in the room to do a, a voice or a laugh or something but i was like what yeah. are they get is he just gonna stand there like a cardboard cutout and then he does that thing where he puts his face in the glass and sticks his tongue i thought that was a really a really good way to to get the character of the joker across without him totally saying anything. yeah really nice touch yeah uh rating i'm gonna go four out of five on this one yeah man. you go for I, four I got, yeah i don't think i think it's a pretty perfect episode it's just uh the stakes are low because the villain's corny but it's a creative choice that they're making you know yeah i'm gonna go for three i think i didn't like it that much as much as that Mm -hmm. and i think what you just said i think is true about the next episode but i think the next episode does it better so yeah yeah i think the next episode is obviously also a four but i think it's a better four (laughs) yeah so we'll leave it there take a quick break and uh come back with read my lips Read My Lips, story by Alan Burnett and Michael Reeves, teleplayed by Joe R. Lansdale, directed by Boyd Kirkland. In this one, a brand new gang has made its debut committing the slickest crimes ever, thanks to the gang leader Scarface. It's up to Batman to stop Scarface and his quote-unquote dummy, the Ventriloquist. Now, the Ventriloquist is a, is a, and Scarface are villains that I have always loved, but yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually read a story where they feature prominently. <laughs> Right. And after watching this episode, my first thought was the ventriloquist and Scarface would make an amazing movie villain. Like, I think you could get an amazing performance out of whoever's playing the ventriloquist. Right. Because I I, I didn't realize until I looked at the credits that it's the same guy doing both voices in the cartoon. Oh, Uh, that's great. I yeah. wondered about that, but I was too lazy to look it up. Yeah, and he's he's such a weird villain that I feel like, you know, you could do some really interesting things with him in a movie and and get a a really interesting performance. I think I think yeah. an actor would have a lot to sink their teeth into with this character. Oh yeah, um, I'd love to see Edward Norton try it or John C. Riley. Yeah, try I was it trying out. to think of who would be a good choice and my first thought was Willem Dafoe. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would be too close to Green Goblin, though, kind of bouncing back yeah. and forth. But, yeah, someone in, someone in that vein where uh, – I actually, it would probably – Joaquin Phoenix probably would have been a really great ventriloquist. Yeah. Yeah, a little – I mean, he, now that he's done the Joker, though, he's kind of out. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> out of the running. Yes. Um, now, that point where Batman walks in and sees the dummy sleeping and then the eyes open – that was not quite a jump scare, but it could be if you yeah. did it slightly differently. You yeah. Know? Oh, I mean the the number one thing you have to do in anything regarding a ventriloquist dummy is have a gag where it seems like they're actually alive. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. a there's a movie called Magic with uh, Anthony Hopkins where he plays a ventriloquist. <clears throat> oh so, yeah, never seen it. Weird ass movie. 
Uh, he's yeah, I can't remember exactly what the plot is, but he's like a ventriloquist, uh, and and there's this creepy relationship with a woman, and like the dummy is starting to take over him and stuff. It's 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 weird, but there's this unbelievable scene. They play it straight through the whole movie that he is definitely in control of this thing, but this thing, but he's like going nuts and whatnot. And there's a scene mm. where he puts the the uh, dummy down on a couch, and then he leaves the room, and they hold on the dummy and like a split second before they cut away, the dummy's head just like inches toward camera, like very, very, very slightly just enough that it registers, but not enough that it makes it seem like he's like come to life. It's really cool. Yeah, that's you're right, man. I think there are certain things you have to check off the list if you're going to have dummy as a villain. Yeah, yeah. You know what made this more, what made this so interesting too, is because the format of, of a cartoon is they have to draw everything. So the dummy, doesn't always look like a dummer. He looks like a tiny person yes, uh, yeah. sitting on the guy's lap. And it gave it this weird... It's something that only a cartoon can do. Because if you tried to do this in a movie, you would have a, it, would have, it would look realistic, obviously. you know. But it made it more creepy because the dummy came to life even more than it would have if it was live action, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, uh, the ventriloquist... Uh, First appeared in uh, 1988, Detective Comics. He was created by John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Norm Brayfogle. Yeah. Um, and, oh, there, well, there's actually been three of them. There are three different characters named the Ventriloquist. But the original one uh, debuted in 1988, and uh, he was a uh, – he grew up in a mafia family. Uh-huh. And uh, he developed associative identity disorder after seeing his mother assassinated by thugs from a rival family. And growing up, his only outlet is ventriloquism. So that's how that <laughs> kind of all comes together. Which is, you know, it's kind of a nice hacky, yeah. hacky comic book villain backstory. But it's I, I don't think you need any of that stuff because it's yeah. just he's so engaging mm-hmm. and it's so different. And I think Batman does a really great job in this of of really. Um, emoting how friggin' weird this all is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Batman, he's doing classic detective work, and you can tell he's definitely a little uneasy about what the hell is going on, and he's not sure what to make of this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And even I, uh, that first... Sorry, I was just gonna say that first scene where he goes, where he, he gets up onto the roof, and he looks down <laughs> through the light, and he sees what's going on, and the look on his face is like, oh my god, what if, <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Oh man, I guess there are ter- certain types of villains that I've never seen before. I know this. I feel like a- after seeing that, he has to like have a sit down and just really go like, "Is this? Is this? Wh- what have I done? Is this all because of should- me? <laughs> is this- yeah, did I did I do this <laughs> somehow? Oh man. So um, I actually drew the ventriloquist in White Knight. Oh, that's right. One. Yeah. And uh, I was going through all the villains and reinventing them, and uh, they're all super white. So I'm like, well, make the ventriloquist black, mm-hmm. you know, being a good liberal, trying to add diversity. And I thought, what if the ventriloquist was like Steve Urkel, but like 65, mm-hmm. and this nerdy old black man had been picked on his whole life, and the puppet is like a uh, black mafioso with like the hat and the classic 1930s type look, mm-hmm. and this was his way of a payback. Like, he was bullied his whole life, but his other personality isn't taking shit anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where the... And I was really excited to do it because DC didn't say anything. I'm like, great, I'm making this character black. 
And I thought when the news got when news got out, there would be an article or something about it because you know that kind of stuff usually takes off. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing, so I thought maybe <laughs> there was already a, a African American um, ventriloquist out there already. I don't know, but I thought the Steve Urkel angle on the ventriloquist was really uh, clever, and uh, nobody seemed to give a shit. <laughs> so well, to be fair, whatever. he's in like three panels, and then you kill yeah. him. So. <laughs> <laughs> he is getting he is getting killed. I mean, he is shooting a gun, though. I think I did kill him in uh, Curse. Oh, yeah, maybe it was Curse where he gets killed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just see his name tag, and he's getting stabbed with a sword, whatever. I thought maybe he could get stabbed. No, he gets stabbed, and uh, the sword... Sorry, the sword slashes the ventriloquist's arm off, separating him from the doll. Mm-hmm. That's what I drew. Oh, tell nice. me that's not fucking clever, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, there's uh, uh, the one comic book (laughs) moment that I do very clearly remember is uh, he he plays, I think it was probably my first introduction to to the ventriloquist, which was even weirder, actually, is from uh, Nightfall, the series where uh, Bane, Bane's first uh, appearance where he eventually breaks Batman's back. And it's at, at a certain point, Bane blows up Arkham Asylum and all the people inside go free. And, um ventriloquist uh escapes but he can't find scarface so Mm. he uses a sock puppet that he calls socko and i very clearly remember the ventriloquist and the sock puppet and being really confused by what was going on but it was also really (laughs) creepy and what i didn't know um is uh, the end of that his storyline in 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 nightfall is he eventually does find scarface and then Scarface and Socko are put at odds with each other, and a standoff occurs until the puppets shoot each other, leaving West, we, leaving the uh, ventriloquist unconscious and bleeding from both hands. <laughs> wow. Which, which is amazing. I think that's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, honestly, I think you're right. This would be a really cool... I mean, it could be really dorky and lame, but if you handle it really well, then the ventriloquist could be a legit scary presence in in a batman movie like really horrific too like you just said with the um uh that movie you were talking about that movie i was talking about yeah um when the ventrilo the dummy oh is, magic uh, magic yes yeah thank you yeah yeah, yeah i like think, to see that i think he's 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 got a lot of potential i've always liked him and there's there's uh i've never really seen him uh put to the forefront because i mean it, let's be honest yeah. he is he's pretty on the surface he's a pretty silly villain um, yeah. Well, okay. I'm not sure I agree, but keep going. No, but I mean, just like if you were to say, oh, the Batman villain, the ventriloquist, he's a guy with a Scarface puppet that shoots a little tiny Thompson machine gun. People are going to be like, yeah, okay, that's, that's not exactly Two-Face here. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't know what I was getting at. <laughs> I will say, though. The ventriloquist a... the ventriloquist walked into the brand manager's shop with the puppet, and the brand manager's like, I honestly don't know what else to do for you. I think you're already all set. <laughs> It's like, did you already pay for that, or did you walk in with it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to me, I got to start um, stalking dummies. When uh, with White Knight, uh, one of the the critiques I got was, um, I turned Joker into Two Face, mm-hmm. in that Two Face had these two different personalities, and one wasn't speaking to the other, and they each would take control of him or whatever. And uh, I agree with that assessment. However, I think I took more from the ventriloquist. Um, but that also makes me think about how similar Two-Face is to the ventriloquist. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I don't. I don't know if. Um, I don't know if Harvey Dent comes out as much as the the back and forth between the ventriloquist and the and Scarface. Right. You know, generally. But yeah. yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, double personality stuff going on with a lot of these. He, the ventriloquist, is like, you've got Two Face, who is a very literal manifestation of split personality, and then you've got the ventriloquist, who is also a very literal manifestation, but in a different way of split right. personality. And, yeah, uh, and they both have like old timey 1930s gangsters. Yeah, yeah, with them as well. You know. Yeah, yeah, um, and they both they both have very uh, specific. Um, I guess triggers that you can disrupt, mm. and I and I love the way that Batman gets out of this situation. This, I you know, I was saying in the, that that these episodes have great Batman stuff in them, and yeah. uh, this also had a lot of a couple good uh, Batman appearing out of thin air scenes where uh, Batman sneaks in through the window in Commissioner Gordon's office, and you it's really dark, and you see the curtain blow, and you just see a shadow move yeah. past it. That was great. <laughs> And yep. uh, when he's tracking down Rhino, the thug, he just kind of appears out of the smoke coming out of like a manhole or something. That stuff was great. But he yeah. uh, he actually uses ventriloquism to defeat the ventriloquist after yeah. he uses like uh, he preys on the ventri- on Scarface's uh, paranoia that people mm. are uh, people yeah. inside his group are turning against him. And I thought it was a really it was a really great way to defeat this villain because I'm just, it was, I feel like even in this show, they result, they resort to Batman punching something mm-hmm. as the way to defeat whatever villain it is. Um, yeah. And I thought this was a really great uh, mental psychological defeat from Batman. Yeah. You know, you're right about that stuff. Like, um, I wrote a script recently and you read it and there's a bad guy I'm creating a new DC comics villain. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have him kill a guy and you said, you know, it works, but it would be nice if he killed him in a unique way that was unique to that character, Mm. you know? Uh, and I forget what the example you used was, uh, Batman, um, when the Joker joy buzzers, the guy in Batman 89. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in going off of that, you know, it's great how Batman just doesn't just, light the dummy on fire or something yeah <laughs> he, he beats him at his own game which is nice yeah he doesn't uh he doesn't hit it with a hammer and shatter it or something he f- yeah. first he starts he starts talking directly to the dummy and appealing to the dummy about his own paranoia which is great yeah. and then he starts I mean, <laughs> then he starts throwing his own voice to pretend that he is a, a guy in the room uh <laughs> turning on him it's it's really good it was either that or throwing him into a wood chipper. Yeah. It's been a little bit graphic for a kid's show. Right, right. <laughs> the, the ventriloquist, not the dummy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, even at the end, though, the, the Scarface does. He gets shot up quite a bit. Not unlike the end of Scarface the movie. The uh, Yeah. The, uh, the goon tries to uh, open fire on Batman and ends up just blasting the, the dummy. Yeah. I wonder what came first. Scarface... DC comic villain or Scarface the movie? Uh, well, Scarface the movie is a remake of a movie from the 30s called Scarface. And it also, right, okay. I believe, it predates the Batman villain. Because I okay. think Bat- the Batman villain was 88 and yeah. Scarface, I want to say, was like 83. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. I mean, yeah. knowing that it was based off a movie from the 30s pretty much clinches it for me yeah <laughs> <That's> <laughs> good movie batman right 
Yeah. Yeah. Good movie too. If you've never seen it, you should check it out. It's uh, it's yeah. it's actually got a lot of. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like the Al Pacino one would be a remake mm-hmm. of a gangster movie from the 30s, but it actually is. A lot of the same elements are happening. Right. Uh, unfortunately, not the same soundtrack. But the movie itself is is pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, that movie, Scar- the, uh, the, what's the who's the director? The one with Al Pacino? Brian De Palma. Yeah, the Brian De Palma Scarface often comes up on lists of most overrated movies. Mm. Movies that are good but people think they're way better than they actually oh, yeah. are yes. type of lists. And this is like, you know, YouTube hosts trying to be contrary just to be like, eh, you thought this was a good movie, but hear me out. Mm-hmm. Here's why it's, here's why I disagree. Mm-hmm. And now you have to agree with me that, that whole bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I've always, I've always loved Scarface. I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put it up against like a list of the 10 greatest movies of all time, but I just, yeah. I really enjoy it. I think it's a really unique movie and it, uh, it's yeah. probably, way too long uh they probably could have cut like an hour out of that movie and you would still be fine yeah but um you know if you're looking at i i kind of have two maybe three levels of judgment for a lot of stuff that you know and they do overlap so it's not just you know straight columns but one of the things one of the things that i can can be uh put you high one of the things that can get you high marks is if I can put it on while I'm working and enjoy it while just kind of letting it go and Scarface being like top to bottom character performances and mm-hmm. a soundtrack like it has and just uh, being three hours of that I don't have to worry about what I'm watching. Love it. Yeah. Like I, you don't, I can put Scarface on in the background and not pay attention to it and just really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Same thing with me and alien resurrection. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I was hoping to get more blowback from you because I don't really mean that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you love that movie. I do, but I with an asterisk. I love the movie, but <laughs> yeah. Well, well, um, I, it's funny. I was I was always more of a Carlito's Way fan. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that's a way better movie. But uh, I haven't seen Scarface as much as I've seen Carlito's Way, and Carlito has a lot more heart to it, which always gets me. Um, even though it goes a little too far sometimes with the the uh, pull, trying to pull at your heartstrings type moments. Right. That might just be the actress who's horribly cast in that movie, and she's not <laughs> even that great of a dancer. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking Scarf, uh, Carlito's, I really liking Carlito's Way. It's probably a better movie, um, yeah. but Scarface is like, it's just, it's got that element of, it feels like Miami in the 80s, just in the yeah. middle of the cocaine boom, it feels like a movie made on cocaine. It's sweaty. It's yeah. it's fast. Like it, it's got. I I always thought it had it had something else that didn't that Carlito's yeah. way didn't quite have like style wise. But I do really like well, Carlito's way as well. I think what it bugs me is the same thing that bugs me about Fight Club. Is it's not the movie. It's the fan base that is really obnoxious to me. Right. Yeah. Like all the fight the guys who love Fight Club for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's those are the same people. <laughs> It's people who love Fight Club for the wrong reasons are in the same group as people who use the red pill term from the Matrix. Yeah, to, which is just like, yeah. do you re- you realize that's a term created by something created by two transgender women? Right, you're kind of <laughs> yeah. That's your, anyway, yeah, they've uh, hijacked it and taken it into this level of like uh, white male pride, right? In some yeah. way that yeah. <laughs> it gets more problematic the deeper dive you do on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, for me, let's start. I mean, because I, I never got into rap music when I was young. I'm going to sound really white all of a sudden. Um, all of a sudden. When I was young, New Hampshire's like 99.9% white. 
uh, and uh, rap was getting big in the early, well, gangster rap, of course. And the kids that bothered me and the kids that were the ones who would bully me and beat the shit out of me in school were these like white kids who wanted to pretend to be gangsters. Oh, yeah. And they weren't. Yeah. They were, and uh, they were all about that shit. So I couldn't even pretend that black, that, uh, that rap music was good until past college when I could go revisit, you know, Jurassic 5 and um, Flava Flav and Run DM, all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And now I finally get it and I think it's awesome. But at the time, I just wasn't ready to even pretend that it was decent because I, all I, the, the people that love that music would just give me shit every day. Right, yeah. Yeah, a, wh- a, a, a white kid in a giant Scarface t-shirt is not someone that you <laughs> that you want to... Uh, um... You better be Eminem. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way you're getting away with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, we, we kind of just sort of glossed over the, this episode, but uh, after, <laughs> after saying how much we both liked it, but I think this is for, um, for an episode featuring a new villain, this yeah. is like gotta be one of the best that I've seen. It's, it's not quite hard of ice. I think the difference, the difference, if you want to put them, you know, if hard, if hard of ice is your gold standard for introducing a villain. Yeah. I think where this one falls short is that. There's not really a lot of story going on. It's a pretty stock thing as far yeah. as like what Scarface is up to. Um, yeah, you don't even learn much about the character, but I think he's so engaging and lively mm. and fun that that stuff playing with the toy of Scarface and the ventriloquist and and doing it so well kind of supersedes the need for for a uh, like a any sort of like deep plot. So if if they had yeah. for me. If they had managed to get a great story out of it as well, I think it would be a, a, a you know a, a top tier one. But as far as just like we're going to introduce yeah. this interesting new villain, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, this is the best you could expect to do on a character like this. Yeah, I this think character so. is not Victor Freeze. He doesn't have you can't farm the same resources from this character like you can Freeze, who lost his wife, the tragedy, whatever that was. This character doesn't have that kind of emotional stakes uh, attached to it. Um, but that being said, they did the best they could. Actually, the only thing, they really wanted to make it more hard of ice. What they should do is lean more into the ventriloquist himself. Mm-hmm. Like the scene where he's talking to Batman and he's having, he's freaking out. And he's sweating and he's a nervous wreck and he's like afraid that the doll is going to hear him and he's going to kill him. And like that stuff's pretty interesting. If they wanted to make this more hard of ice, they could spend more time on that. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about who this guy is and why he did this in the first place. But the episode's not designed to do that. So right. it's good that they didn't. You yeah. Know, I, I don't know. I was just going to say, like, I don't, I don't really know if, if, at least the way that this episode is presented and the, the, the tone that they're going for, I don't even yeah. really want to know more about, like, I, I, if, <laughs> if, they, if halfway through this episode, the ventriloquist or even Scarface, because it would be hilarious, had like a monologue about growing up or whatever. He's like, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, I was picked on by everyone around me. Like, I, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, that's not that's not why I'm coming to watch the Scarface episode. Right. Um, I started out as a tree. Yeah. I got kicked because I was a stump. Yeah. And one day I found love and a man kindly carved me into a shape of a man with a tiny gun. And now I boss him around. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's really just taking the concept of this character and doing as many fun things as they can while also, yeah. I mean, w- while also making the ventriloquist fairly sympathetic. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think they do. Yeah. I think you're right. I think this is the best you can, best you can ask yeah. for from something like this. I mean, the way they started the episode out, this great 
song, the theme song by um, Shirley Walker, it's just like, ah, see, this is just kind of movie. Like the way that I can't, yeah. the type of music they play is very lighthearted and fun, like an old Batman pulp comic. Yeah. It's not designed for a Danny Elfman scene where Tim Burton swoops in and you get this like heart wrenching story of how depressed this guy was before he found his puppet. Right. It just doesn't fit. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I'm surprised that maybe he tried to pitch. Like Scarface, I don't know, but I feel like this villain is one that Tim Burton would love. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, if you want to spread your Tim Burton gobbledygook all over something, fine. Here, take Scarface yeah. and do something with this, and get the fuck out of the office. Oh, you want to give him uh, long stockings that are uh, white and black I was, stripes? I was just yeah. going to say, Shocker. obviously, obviously, Scarface's <laughs> suit would be white and black striped suit. Yes. <laughs> oh, just Beetle, oh yeah, just and then Winona Ryder would be the you know I could see Tim Burton. Ruining this very easily, or making it awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah honestly, coin flip with him. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Oh man, do you uh, um, do you have a? Would you, I was just gonna say, do you have uh, something you'd want to draw? Uh, um, I liked some of the villains. This the stock henchmen had some pretty unique faces. One guy had these uh, great buck teeth on him. Yeah, that yeah, like he'd be pretty fun to draw. Um. I think the end where uh, the uh, ventriloquist is in jail and he's carving a piece of wood and this counselor comes up to him gently and he's like, oh, that's very good. <laughs> and he walks away and then Scarface, the, the ventriloquist takes an X-Acto knife and like jams it into the log and cuts a scar. Yeah. That would be a cool sequence that, to do. A great ending. It was a great ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Because the, uh, when you see the uh, blade, you're like, wait, what is he going to do? And he just jams it in. And it's really effective the way that they that they shot it. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I was going to mention, I forgot to. Uh, this is the first one I that I can remember where the I uh, I didn't know. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't remember this episode. So I didn't know yeah. by the title and the title card illustration. I had no idea what the hell it was. Like I couldn't even really make it out, so I didn't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know what this episode was about. And then when Scarface showed up, I was like, "Oh, of course." <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, the title card. It's like, I think it's like a half-completed carving of the puppet's face. But if you don't have any context for that, it just looks like a weird deformed block of wood or something. Yeah, but uh, the title card here. Oh, yeah, that's. That's not good. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah, you kind of need to see it, but it's not a recognizable shape. Out of all the title cards I've seen, that's probably the worst one yeah. so far. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'd redraw that. T- no. I, I, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's actually a really good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to redo the title card. <laughs> um, I think what I, one of the things that we didn't talk about that I really loved was his uh, Scarface's uh, mannequin like warehouse uh yeah what's the word uh hideout thing which i guarantee yeah. you i guarantee you the brand manager had that had the keys to that place already he just gave him the keys and told him to use it yeah um i got all this greek stuff yeah. i got all these mannequins i gotta hang all these costumes on something so i keep them all in the mannequins <laughs> and i keep them in this warehouse uh yeah. i and i loved the like uh the tiger pit trap made out of sharpened mannequin hands is that I couldn't tell what that was supposed to be yeah. at first. Yeah, it's like you know the, those like they, they always use them in like jungle movies and stuff where it's a pit with a bunch of spikes coming out of the floor. Right. It was that yeah. only it was mannequin hands, which I think is hilarious. Um, and I I would probably do something that would be kind of fun to draw. Uh, Batman hanging over a pit of just sharpened hands. Uh, just yeah. anything in that in that warehouse I think would be fun. It kind of reminded me. There's a. Uh, 
low budget uh, horror movie from 1980 called Maniac, which is yeah. about this. It's a really weird ass movie about this serial killer who uh, is like killing women and like scalping them and building like a woman's, you know, that old thing. But he's yeah. got he's got all these mannequins around his house and the mannequins. He like talks to them. And he like sleeps with oh, them in yeah. his bed and stuff, and he's you know out of his mind. And the movie ultimately ends in this weird sequence where the mannequins come to life and kill him, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. But I I just mannequins are creepy, and I think you could get a lot of <laughs> a creepy imagery out of a warehouse full of mannequins. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But did you uh, come up with a name for your uh, for the character we created, the guy that uh, hooks everyone up with costumes? I just keep calling him the brand manager because I think it's brand manager. It's just such a. What is it? Uh, like a mundane name, but also sounds like a super villain. <laughs> yeah, man. Brandon, when, uh, Brandon, Brandon and get you to write something. We, yeah, we got to have you. Uh, we'll create, we'll, we'll own them together. He'll be like our racial ghoul. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I've got some ideas for the brand manager. I think it'd be fun to, to, to use. <laughs> um, yeah. So for me, a rating on this one, like I said, I would definitely do a four, but like a high four. To me, it's, it's great. It's perfect. It's just not, doesn't have that emotional element that uh, Heart of Ice has. But uh, yeah, this is definitely uh, way up there and probably one of the better uh, one shot uh, villain introductions in the whole series, like you said. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a high four, not quite a five. It's like I was just really surprised by this one because I didn't remember it at all. Um, yeah. I think I remembered he was in the series, but I don't remember this episode in any way. And I was just, I thought it was fantastic. And it's, yeah, yeah it's the best you can do without without making one that's just like an all-timer. So yeah, yeah high four for me Yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah. So uh, that'll do it for fire. That'll do it for fire from Olympus and read my lips. Next week we're we're straddling seasons because we've mm-hmm. got uh, the final episode of the quote unquote first season, which is the Worry Men, and the first episode Ooh. of quote unquote season two, which is Sideshow. Which we've got a. I think the the Worry Men. It's Mad Hatter's the villain. I think it might be the first Mad Hatter episode. Is that true? And a guest appearance by Levar Burton. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah. It's the first Mad Hatter episode. That's I, I could have sworn we had one before that, but I guess not. You're right. <clears throat> I thought we had one where she's dreaming. Sorry, and, and sorry, help. I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I did the I did yeah. Control F. But it, it okay. didn't start at the first one. Yes, we have had a Mad Hatter one before. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to fight you. Usually your memory is better than mine, so I was going to bow out. But yeah. yeah, fuck you. You're wrong. Yeah, well, you know, happens to everybody. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you like what you what you hear, if you want to give us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be great. Uh, if you want to shoot us a question or talk to us, we're on Twitter at Batass Podcast, yep. B-A-T-T-A-S-S Podcast, or shoot us an email uh the badass podcast at gmail.com i think it's the yep check out our books you're doing bloody hell i'm doing plot holes yep yeah uh this i'm not positive when this is going to come out your thing might still be running uh your crowdfunding for plot holes might still be running but either way you know you'll be pushing that uh as you're doing it and i'm working on my book bloody hell which is uh you know look you search for either of us you'll find plenty of stuff regarding both of those books yeah, if you try to find it and you can, you're an idiot. That's what we're saying. That's what Clay is basically saying, not me. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Your <laughs> words, not mine. I mean, my words, not yours. All right, thanks, guys. We'll uh, we'll talk to you next time.